You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! All the haters out there, man. I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown, again. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown sixth pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it is preview day and a long one. I spent a lot of time on this one because what a matchup we have for you. Dolphins and Niners, 405 kick. We'll preview each positional matchup with an eye on the tape and the numbers to give you that water cooler conversation for a few days. Plus, what's at stake and the three keys to victory from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is... The Drive Time Podcast. At long last, the San Francisco 49ers game is here. So many familiar faces going back to their previous stop with McDaniel, Wes Welker, John Embry, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson, Trent Sherfield, River Craycraft. And we remind you of that to give you an idea of how the team is constructed, that it's not that far off from what the Dolphins have built here in the short time under Mike McDaniel and Chris Greer, and the rest of the staff. It starts with Kyle Shanahan over in San Francisco. I'll never forget when I first really took my shot at getting into the analyst world and covering the league at large. When I launched my QB grading website in the summer of 2017, I wrote about how Kyle Shanahan could maximize Brian Hoyer's skill set based upon what they did together in Cleveland in 2014. And while that take didn't age well, the Niners were eventually able to build the roster to Shanahan's liking at the quarterback that would maximize their offense as well under GM John Lynch. And they rode that all the way to the Super Bowl just three years in and just 15 minutes away with a 10-point lead from hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. And that same quarterback website featured effusive praise for Matt Ryan and the 2016 Falcons, which was, you guessed it, Kyle Shanahan at the controls, and our own head man, Mike McDaniel, there as well. One of the most fun offenses I can remember watching in a historic MVP season four, in my opinion, future Hall of Fame quarterback Matt Ryan. You know the drill. Outside zone principles that kickstart the offense into a deadly play-action passing game that utilizes shifts, motion, play design, and a very smart and accurate quarterback to pick apart holes in zones and maximize the incredible slate of skill players and their run-after-the-catch ability. Defensively, if you thought that losing Robert Sala would sink that defense... Quite the opposite. D'Amico Ryans is already one of the top coordinators in the game and will be a head coach probably by next year, if not two years tops. Uh, He puts his own spice on the defense, but at their core, it's an aggressive, attacking, hitting, one-gap, get-up field and put the onus on the offense type of defense. More on that in a moment. So it's year six of Shanahan and Lynch here with San Francisco, and what a home run pairing that was at a time when the organization absolutely needed needed some stabilization coming off of back-to-back one-and-done coaching moves with Chip Kelly and Jim Tom Sula. Who remembers Jim Tom Sula? What a year that was. It brought stability to the organization and has made them a contender every single year except for when they're wiped out by the injury bug. Like seriously, who's had worst injury luck than the Niners since Shanahan got there, really. 
And the similarities really do continue for how these two teams were built. The Niners utilized a massive early free agency haul that first year there, some wise drafting and some big trades to round out one of the best top of the rosters in the entire NFL. There are elite players in every room on this football team. That's how they brought in Jimmy G back in 2018, a trade that was awesome for them for just a second round pick. And you look at the record with and without Jimmy Garoppolo, pretty safe to say he's the glue piece there. And what a savvy move to keep him this offseason from what looked like he was for sure going to leave, even had like a goodbye post on social media to San Francisco. And then a break in case of emergency situation, they brought him back. And that's what happened on week two, former number three overall pick Trey Lance uh, has an ankle injury that wipes him out for the entire season. So a big trade for arguably their most talented player as well, which is tough to peg because they have so many of them. But Christian McCaffrey also arrives via a trade to take this offense to a different level. We'll monitor his knee injury as we go along this week. Now, the wide receiver room was built primarily through the draft, but Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk are one of the best wide receiver tandems in all of football. And like we have here, just two perfect complementary parts. Then, of course, one of the top two tight ends in football who does literally everything. George Kittle was a late-round steal in the draft a few years back. They used that trade option to acquire their best offensive lineman as well and their best lineman in the NFL for my money in Trent Williams. You've all seen the impact Teron Armstead's had here. That's Trent Williams in San Francisco. There have been some considerable changes along the offensive line, but they seem to really be coming into their own as the year goes along. Then defensively, maybe the best in football, and it starts with maybe the best edge rusher in football, like Parsons, Miles Garrett, and Bosa, I think. That's the top dogs in my opinion. Former number two pick in the draft has been as advertised with Nick Bosa They drafted Arik Armstead in the first round as well, back in the beginning of that Shanahan and Lynch pairing. They brought Kerry Hyder back after a stint with Seattle. Samson Ebucom was a home run of a free agent signing. Like, it just keeps going. Fred Warner is probably only a couple more years of this level of play away from a gold jacket. Dre Greenlaw is a Pro Bowl caliber linebacker as well. Another draft pick for them. Then in the secondary, another late round gem in Talanoa Hufanga, a prize free agent in Charvarius Ward. The other Ward, Jimmy, also a great draft pick for them. So you get the idea. It's a complete team with stars all over the roster. And when they have the majority of those stars available, well, it usually produces a trip to the Super Bowl in 2019 and a trip back to the NFC Championship game last year. 2020 was a 6-10 and year that ended with Bosa, Garoppolo, Williams, D. Ford, and Raheem Moser all on the IR. You had Samuel, Ayuk, and Kittle all miss time in the year as well. So pretty much injuries are the only thing that has stopped this team in the last five years. And now... They're relatively healthy, maybe not this week so much as they have been recently. They're 7-4, and four, a first-place outfit that hasn't allowed a second-half point in four weeks. And if you turn on a talk show or get on social media, you'll see the Niners touted as a team to be reckoned with come January, and it's pretty easy to see why in the NFC. Let's go ahead and get right into this. Dolphins offense versus the Niners defense, quarterback and offense versus the safety matchup first. And off the top... I mentioned the defensive surge of the Niners, and I'm excited for this game to test a theory I've been telling you guys about for some time now here on the Drive Time Podcast. The theory that in the NFL in 2022, defenses are as good as the offense they're facing. And these low point totals came from three totally floundering offenses and a Chargers offense that, for all its parts, just hasn't been good this year. The Stafford-less Rams the Allen and Williams list chargers, Keenan Allen, and Mike Williams, the Murray list Cardinals and the saints led by Andy Dalton. The week before that, 
the week the streak started, an offense somewhat akin to Miami's in terms of their production in Kansas City, and they rolled up 44 points with 30 of that coming in the second half. So I really, really don't think, and I've been wrong before, but I don't think the Niners should expect to score like 17 or 20 points and win this game. But we'll see. Maybe the theory is wrong. Let's talk about what they do well. The way we praise the offensive structure and design each week, the same can be done for the Niners' defense and the way they call that defense. He just has an answer and response to everything teams will do to them. There's a clip on a third and long against the Chargers where the back is in a nasty split that's aligned up close to the the tackle uh, to Nick Bosa's side. And he comes up to chip Bosa. So instead of having Bosa rush into an isolated tackle who's ready to get a secondary piece of the pass rusher after he gets the chip dealt with, and they slide the entire rest of the line away from that, they're just going to drop Nick Bosa back into coverage and bring the fourth man to the other side of the formation, giving you seven in coverage, two blockers doing nothing, and four on four in their pass rush scheme. That leaves two guys to block air to Herbert's right on that play. It's stuff like that time and time again for this Niners defense. You've got to watch for that in the quick passing game because Bosa will peel back. And with how many plays we've seen to a, you know, catch rock throw, you got to make sure you ID those defensive linemen in coverage. He did it in the NFC divisional game in Green Bay last year too, where he wound up rerouting the three, the, the closest receiver into the formation and passing him off and then dropping to his landmark. Like it's linebacker stuff and he can do it at a high level. And they've got options with which to do that too. Like there was a five man blitz from a zone look with late rotation at the snap in the game against the Saints where they eventually brought Hufanga. More on him in a moment. It's such a great chess match between that defense and a quarterback who, as Coach has said, is such a savant for the way he sees the game in the field. It's just constantly stuff like that. Lots of zone coverage, but they'll also dial up enough man coverage to keep you guessing. There's a third and four in the Cardinals game where they pull the extra safety down and go press man across the board and play man free. Single high free safety man coverage across the board. It's not something they do frequently, but it's on tape. And then you'll see them primarily rush for drop into zones, and those exceptional, exceptional linebackers and expand that zone because of their athletic ability, namely Fred Warner. We'll come back to those guys in a minute. The Niners' man zone splits are nearly 70-30, 69-31, and their third in QBR allowed in either of those two things. Tua's QBR against zone and man is both best in the NFL at 82.1 against man and 78.5 against zone coverage. They blitz 22.3% of the time. That's the 20th highest rate in the league, but their pressure rate's 24%. That's ninth most in football. Tua versus the blitz this year, 67.2% completion, 8.5 yards per attempt, three tutties and no picks versus pressure. He's the best quarterback in the league. 56%, 7.7 YPA, four touchdowns and no picks, and the 103.4 pass ratings tops in the NFL. In fact, he's the only qualifying quarterback over 100 in that passer rating category. The next highest is Geno Smith at 95.5. Every which way you splice it, it's an intriguing matchup. As for the Niners' safeties, Jimmy Ward is one of the smartest players you'll come across. And speaking of jumping the quick game, he lives for that. Over his 235 snaps this year, he missed the first four games of the season. Only two have come in the, in the post, the free safety position. He's almost always in the box or slot and wants to disrupt the passing game. The unique thing about these safeties is they can all play in the slot, which changes the way you kind of view things, and it makes the safeties interchangeable. He doesn't rush 
just four blitzes on the season, but he'll play plenty of slot and cover the, the slot receiver. And that's where our second-year sensation, speaking of blitzes, Talanoa Hufunga comes into play. He's nearly doubled his snaps already from a year ago, and you think he's rushing the quarterback all the time because he's always making plays, but just 23 pass rush reps this season, 361 in the post, and then 262 between the box and the slot, and then 34 more as a down defensive lineman, which is crazy. But man, he can impact the short passing game to all positions, to backs, tight ends, and wideouts. He is really, really good. This year, throwing the ball against him per pro football focus, opposing teams are 20 of 31 for a buck 75. For a safety to have that kind of a number, 31 pass attempts for 175 yards. Going to pull out the calculator and do some live math for you guys right now. 175, it's only 5.6 yards per pass. That's really, really good for a guy that plays back in the post, what did I say, 230 times this year? No. Uh, yeah, 361 times in the post this year. He's got uh, one touchdown allowed and four picks. He's a playmaker, man, and 24 run stops. He is He's like defensive player of the year good this year so far. Then you've got Jimmy Ward, who uh, is 27 of 28 in coverage, like every ball gets completed, 240 yards, two touchdowns and a pick, and he has five run stops. But wait, there's more. In fact, nobody on the Niners' defense has played more snaps than Tashawn Gibson, who's long been a very good player in this league. So while Hufanga and Ward spent a lot of time in the box, in the slot, and the occasional post rep, Gibson is in the post on 476 of his 675 snaps. So like two-thirds of the time, which obviously tells you there are snaps elsewhere for him. I think this is the best safety trio in the NFL with Brandon Jones being injured right now. They're versatile, they're instinctual, they're athletic, they, they're playmakers, they're interchangeable, which expands their ability to disguise coverage, which Tua talked about in his Wednesday press conference. Go check that out on the team YouTube channel. It's why this is my favorite matchup to date, because Tua has been money this year getting his information both pre and post snap, and the Niners are probably the best at muddying all that up. It's good on good, man. Gibson, 10 for 20 in coverage. He's really good. 176 yards allowed, no touchdowns in one pick, five run stops, but he never comes down at run support. Uh, last bit of numbers here in the high safety category, almost dead even between two and single high looks. 322 and two high, 311 and single. They have 26 snaps from zero coverage this year. They are first in points per game allowed, first in yards per game allowed, yards per play, rushing yards per game allowed, and passing touchdowns. What a fun matchup. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back on the other side and get to the rest of the Dolphins offense, first Niners defense. Plenty more to come your way. Another long edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. A Thursday, week number 13 upon us, and a fun matchup for Dolphins fans out there. I talked about it on the podcast last week. I love me some AFC East football. Cannot wait to watch Bills and Patriots. Go Pats! Come on, baby. Let's go. Let's get that game advantage uh, heading into the game here. Let's go ahead and pick it back up with the Dolphins receivers and tight ends versus the Niners cornerbacks and kind of carrying this defensive evaluation into this category. The Niners play off coverage 73% of the time and press 27% of the time. We've seen this all year long. Teams are pretty reluctant to press the Dolphins receivers. They're pretty reluctant to play man coverage against the Dolphins receivers. The Lions weren't. How'd that work out? You get a lot of zone turn on the perimeter, which is eyes or butt to the sideline, eyes to the quarterback, and it pairs perfectly with all the athletic ability and intelligence in the middle at both linebacker and safety. The way we talked about how this Dolphins offense was built to complement each piece, that's the Niners defense to a T. 
Traverius Ward is cornerback one. 30 of 52 are opposing passing teams uh, throwing against him for 376, a touchdown and a pick. He has no missed tackles all year. What a crazy stat. His relative athletic scorecard is interesting. I've never seen a cornerback with a lower three cone time, 7.52. He's a 4.45 guy, which is really good, but it's not close to your 2.42 guys that you have. I don't think we'll see him pressed up, manned up, or running deep. I think you'll see him squat, key, and seek to jump and make plays. It's where Tua's high-level proficiency has to come into play on a snap-by-snap basis this week. And then uh, Lenore, the other cornerback, uh, Diomandor Lenore, I think is how you pronounce it. 37 for 48 are opposing teams this year, 430 and no touchdowns or no picks. He's got a better change of direction, three cone time, 7.02. He's also a 4.45-40 guy. So there's not a ton of speed outside for these two guys. Like it's better than, you know, bad. Like it's, it's probably like average, I would say, which makes one think it could be a lot of shells up top, which opens up the area we love to live in, that intermediate deep range between the numbers. And from there, I think you really need to run the football well in this game to help influence those linebackers because we haven't seen a better duo this entire season. And I love when this happens. Uh, and Seth and Juice on the postgame show or on Spaces uh, last night will tell you this, <laughs> that I, I love bringing it up. But I love when I have an idea, put it into the podcast, put it into the notes, put it into my my script, and then like Coach or Tua or somebody else confirms it. Tua went through and like confirmed all this stuff about Fred Warner's depth of his drop, how safeties are playing off because of the speed the offense has. Go watch Tua's press conference, listen to this podcast. I wrote the notes before Tua's presser. It's fun to kind of match up like that and, and just kind of get some confirmation from people that are smarter than you. Uh, Emmanuel Mosley is up next, but as we told you with the safeties, it's much more a big nickel team where the third safety comes onto the field over a third corner. He's played 312 snaps, no small number. You've got over 3,000 snaps among these top six DBs, which is a surprise for the way they align from a personnel standpoint because it's 28% of the time in a base 4-3, and then the rest of it is a nickel. So what is that? Uh, 72%. They have three snaps the entire year in their dime defense. I thought it would be more because of how many players they use in that position, but they just basically, it's basically a platoon. I thought we'd get more dime, but it's a, it's a platoon between Mosley and Ward when both are healthy. Let's go ahead and finish up with Mosley's numbers here in the slot. Uh, 13 of 20, 135, no touchdowns and one pick. Again, really good numbers. This is their primary slot corner, you know, 6.843 cone time with 4.42 speed. That's more requisite of handling a Tyreek Hill or a Jalen Waddle. So the fastest guy among the group there uh, is Emmanuel Mosley from a, a straight line speed, but also a change of direction skill set. I'm curious to see if he plays up in that slot and presses up at all, because if you can get that one-on-one situation like that for Tyreek or Jalen, slot fade, let's go for it against the Lions. Keep an eye on that this week. This team as a whole has nine passing touchdowns allowed and nine picks. It's by far the best touchdown-to-interception ratio for a defense in the NFL. It'll be so imperative for Tua and the receivers to be as sharp as they've been. For Tua, continue to see things with tremendous anticipation. And then for the wide receivers, be on your landmarks. Have your footwork on point. Do not bobble footballs. These guys will jump routes. They'll peel off and fall into zones that they're not supposed to be in. They'll lay the wood and they'll scoop up tips and overthrows. You just can't have that this week if you want to win the turnover battle and ultimately the game. Again, fascinating matchup for how they want to play it given their zone propensity and how teams have really shown Miami a ton, not a ton of man coverage. And when they have, it's been costly. You have to imagine it's more of the same. So 
those points of being sharp re-emphasized here. I was curious to see how teams had success attacking them, like the Week 7 game against Kansas City, where they scored 44 points. The key there was spreading the football around. They targeted Charvarius Ward six times with four different receivers, six catches on those for a buck four. They went after Jimmy Ward six times with five different receivers, six for six there for 42 yards, and Lenore saw four targets against four different receivers, three for four there for 48 yards. So I think the plan the last couple of weeks has been Miami's MO to get the ball to Sherfield and Craycraft and Gasicki and Smythe and the backs like use Tyreek and Jalen's ability to give you 85, 90 yards, but also utilize their attention they command to get everybody else involved. I'm I'm just can't wait to see what happens. Are they going to put the emphasis on Tyreek and Jalen and force us to win that way? Or are they going to proverbially throw us the challenge fastball and see if we can execute going up against those guys with our top dogs? Ideally, you get a little bit of both. But if they challenge Tyreek and Jalen, I challenge anybody to make that challenge because I think it'll favor the Dolphins. In that Kansas City game, they went after Traverius Ward when he had deep responsibility. And I think if you can create a situation like that, that's the move to go after. Then it was quick game at Jimmy Ward with yards after the catch. And I think there's an opportunity here with the off coverage against two high safety looks or if they sneak a safety down on the line and bring pressure to get the ball out hot and let those guys make plays, get some yak going. The the quick uh, run through that we saw Tariq have against the Texans up the sideline. That's kind of where I see the plan taking you. When they have to displace, when they displace guys based upon their alignment, try to maximize the yak on the back end. And when they clamp the middle and give you those one-on-ones out wide, try to win deep there and maximize that green grass down the field. And this all works infinitely better with a good ground game. Before we move on here, there's also a tremendous tackling cornerback room. So those wide runs, those matchups blocking off the edge for guys like Trent Sherfield, who does a great job every single week against guys they used to see in practice for him and River Craycraft, fun matchup there as well. Dolphins offensive line versus Niners defensive line. I know we're all very much anticipating this matchup here because it's where the game will probably be decided. Everything they do up front is fast. Bosa and Kerry Hyder are so quick off the football. They all are, really. That's how defensive line coach Chris Kusarek coaches it. Remember, he was here back with Cam Wakin and Dominic and Sue, and those guys pinned their ears back every single snap. We heard from coach on Wednesday that Armstead is game to game, and the expectation is that Jackson will not play, though that's not for certain. So what happens at tackle is a big question. You have to figure Brandon Shell is the answer at one of those spots. Ideally, Teron plays, and Shell can slot back in at right tackle, where he's played really well. They'll need their best this week because this defensive line gets after it. Uh, pressures and run stop numbers. Bosa, 55 and 26. And he has one missed tackle all year long. He's having a depoy year too, just like Hufanga. Uh, Charles Amenahu, one of my favorite draft prospects a few years ago, 39 pressures, nine run stops. Samson Ebukam, 26 pressures, 20 run stops. And Drake Jackson, 13 and eight. That's the primary edge defenders. Bosa is literally good at everything. Speed, power, technical refinement, setting up tackles with his game-long pass rush plan. He's all pro level good. and you see teams attack him that way like we mentioned earlier with doubles and chips and they'll play into that I do like the idea of running and screening and swinging the football motioning right at Bosa split flow against him akin to what they did against uh, Aiden Hutchinson against the Lions chip with a tight end double with the back slide away from him just make him think one extra beat longer consistently and try to slow him down by a half a step he had 14 pressures in one game this year week four against the Rams he's had less than three pressures in a game just twice Carolina and KC both teams played paid a ton of attention to him 
which you should. Amenahu is super long and powerful, some of the heaviest hands in the NFL, a strong edge, and actually a very impressive 14.5% pressure rate is ninth among all defensive linemen, edge or interior. If it's shell out there, that is pure strength against pure strength, two power players, fun matchup. And then Ebukam, man, he is a playmaker. You have to be really careful with your inside post with him because he'll bluff the rush upfield and then cross face. And he's so devastating with that crossover slash arm over move back inside. And if there's no back scanning, protecting there next to Tua, that can result in some hits on your quarterback. And as he's going to throw, which can re- result in turnovers, obviously. That was an area of, of concern last week was the tackles getting beat to their inside post got to sure that up really need both guards to have their heads on a swivel this week too against these long powerful ends who can condense inside and really threat threaten those b gaps finally the interior they're going to use amena who is a three tech quite often so he's kind of a dnd tackle but among the true idls pressures and run stops kevin givens leads the way with 12 pressures and 11 run stops hassan ridgeway has eight and 12 and Kerry hyder has seven and six they lost javon kinlaw to injury a while back they play the same way inside fast off the football force you to be quick and react to the uh, and be accurate with your hand placement and your punch these are both areas where both Connor Williams and Robert Hunt have really excelled this year. This is a huge test for Rob Jones. That's not necessarily his game, what I just told you about. But man, if he can get it right and just thwart these dudes, it would go a long way towards us winning in the trenches and thus probably scoring in the high 20s and then thus winning the football game. Another member of the rotation, Akeem Spence. Remember him? He was the epitome of that one-gap get-up-field style of Coach Kusarek. He's played 108 snaps on the season. Running backs and linebackers, they are a 20% blitz team, right? But the safeties and corners almost never blitz. Lenore leads the way with 12 among the DBs, and Jimmy Ward is next with four pass rush reps. So what does that tell you? It's all about the backers blitzing, baby. Uh, Fred Warner, 11 pressures on 28 pass rush reps. Dre Greenlaw, four on 24. Not a very good number there for Greenlaw, but Warner's is pretty good. So again, not a crazy high number, 20th in the league at 22%, but it's effective because it's a tendency breaker and that can fool protection schemes into being wrong for just a beat and that's all it takes for these guys to get downhill. Fred Warner, I think, is the best off-ball linebacker in football, as Tua kind of talked about. He does everything. Like, we don't even have to break him down because hook defender, edge setter, run the seam with a three, fit the B gap. It just doesn't matter. He does it all. He and Dre Greenlaw have combined for 79 run stops. 79! And it's not a big gap. 41 for Greenlaw, 38 for Warner. To me, these two players are the key. Can Miami keep them guessing enough with a level of balance to just get them to take one false step or react a beat late? It's just not possible to flow downhill in the run game and cover 20 yards down the field from that position. And when Miami is hitting runs, they have attacked that area of the field with such success. But again... You haven't seen a duo like this yet all year. So if Miami can get the backs going in the running game, I think that opens up everything else. Of course, they that can be achieved with good design as well. So it's a big test for the Dolphins' offensive staff to keep those guys guessing in the run game, even if it doesn't click from the opening snap. Just 13 missed tackles between the two with almost 170 combined tackles. <laughs> it's crazy. And we know it'll be a physical game. Glad we got Jeff Wilson for that aspect of it, sort of the Landon Roberts of the offense in that way. And then if we can get those hard edges solidified and get Raheem Mostert around the edge with his speed, that's one of those things that really opens up the short intermediate passing game as well. So a big key. The Falcons had their best running day on the Niners with 168 yards on the ground. 
The Chiefs were next with 112, and Denver, the third team to go over 100, they had 101 in their game. They even held the Bears and Justin Fields to just 99 yards. Then it's a drop in the 67 rushing yards allowed, so only four of the 11 games have surpassed 67 rushing yards against the Niners defense, and the Falcons had three different players top 50 yards in that game, but nobody went over 59. Mariota, Caleb Huntley, and Tyler Algier were all in the 50 to 60 yard range in that game. Not exactly a Dolphins analog there, so not really a, a carryover comparison. Like, hey, this worked here, it'll work here. Oh, by the way, they're good in coverage too. Warner, 29, or 25 of 39. That's a ridiculously low completion percentage for a linebacker, but 301 yards and a touchdown. That's a lot of yards uh, for that few completions. Greenlaw, 44 of 57 for 331 and a touchdown. They are as involved as any backers because teams typically get it out quickly against the pass rush, so you'll see those guys making plays all over the place. All right, let's go to the other side of the football here before our second break. Dolphins defense, Niners offense, quarterback and offense versus the Dolphins safeties. No team has utilized more variants of offensive groupings than the 49ers. Now, most of these are just a handful of plays. Like A lot of it is the various packages with one extra lineman that gives them the distinction. They've added an extra O-line from 11, 12, 13, and 22 personnel. But on the whole, 11 personnel is 47%, 12 personnel, 17%, 21 personnel, Kyle Juszczyk, 26%, and then 22 personnel is 8%. All others are less than 1%, but there's like 14 different packages they've used this year. But even within those four groupings, the primary ones, you see the unique nature of the Niners offense. A lot of it is two back sets with check and what he does, kind of like Alec Ingold, basically. Those are the top two fullbacks in the NFL, in my opinion. Plenty of tight ends. I mean, they can go with McCaffrey behind check with Debo, Ayuk, and Kittle. That's the best five eligible lineup any team in football can call upon, for my money. The key here to me is like it is most weeks in the NFL. Make the quarterback uncomfortable. Don't let him scan and get to his third and fourth read. If you let Jimmy hitch up and get to the backside, he'll carve you up. But I think we can get home with four by overloading the right side and winning inside. Just overload the opposite side of Trent Williams and attack the other parts of the offensive line all game long. Let's go ahead and look at Jimmy G's numbers. When he's blitzed, 68% completion, 8.5 yards per pass, six tutties and two picks. It's a better completion percentage and YPA by almost a full yard than when he's not blitzed. And teams are acting accordingly. He's been blitzed just 95 times this year compared to 228 drawbacks against four or fewer rushers. This is exactly the type of game that you go get a Bradley Chubb for. A smart, accurate quarterback that will take what you give him, but you play coverage and force him to get through a couple of reads and take away his hots. You know he's not going to scramble very much, if at all, especially after that dinged up knee from last week. Disrupt the hot throws, and then you've also... Uh, You're also not sacrificing tacklers on the back end when you don't blitz him because you need as many men behind the ball to deal with these yards after the catch guys. When not blitzed, his time to throw is 2.61 seconds. Phillips and Chubb have been getting home in similar or quicker times. So, man, if we can get what we've been getting from those guys, I think it'll swing this game in a big way in our favor. It's why this safety and quarterback matchup's a fun one, too. We talked about Holland playing a little more Uh, and a little more space last couple of weeks. Eric Rowe playing his best ball of the year and McKinley getting more reps at free safety. They are killing defenses in the intermediate. 63% for 10.5 yards per pass, seven touchdowns and two picks. But going deep, 20 plus yards, it's been bad. Just 25% completion, only nine yards per pass attempt. That's so low. One touchdown, one pick. Just 9% of their dropbacks result in a deep ball and they barely ever hit them. So they'll run the ball 
and attack short to intermediate. It's really kind of the primary difference in the two offenses with the makeup of the skill players. Both teams are exceptional, but Miami has all the speed that the Niners just do not have, but they try to catch the ball and run through tackles. It's it's more dink and dunk than the Dolphins' offense. Spoiler, one of the keys will be form tackling because they're fifth in the NFL with 1,531 yards after the catch. They have the number three ranked wide receiver in Yak and Debo Samuel. He's got 400 yards after the catch. The sixth place tight end in Yak with George Kittle and two, uh, 237 and the number two running back in the NFL with 498 yards after the catch in Christian McCaffrey. Let's go ahead and take our last break and come back and finish up the rest of this preview on the other side of the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. We ended with the quarterbacks versus the safeties for the Niners offense and Dolphins defense. We pick it back up here with the receivers and tight ends versus the Miami corners. And speaking of those receivers, there are like three duos I like more than Samuel Ayuk, maybe. There's not a tight end in the NFL like more than George Kittle. Kelsey is great, but Kittle's play style is my style. My stoil, I should say. My preferred stoil. Now, Debo isn't running the ball as much as he, as he was last year. And with that in mind, you would, would you believe it if I told you he wasn't the top target guy on the team? And it's not Kittle either. And that just speaks to how good Brandon Ayuk is. Like their safeties, they're interchangeable in terms of their pre-snap alignments. And hilariously enough, <laughs> their slot alignments for Ayuk and, and Debo, 26.5% and 26.4%, one-tenth of a percentage point. They rank third and 18th in yak among wide receivers. It's why tackling is so imperative. Like, listen to this stat. No receiver has a shorter average depth of target than Samuel's 4.8 yards average but he has 400 yards after the catch. So look at his receptions chart. It's all around the line of scrimmage. They just throw him short screen game. Come tackle, Cater Kohu, big challenge for you this week, my friend. They challenge you with man and zone ideals because Jimmy is so proficient at beating zone. And then when you go man, when you man them up, they'll just throw crossers and kill you with yak. And there's not a harder route to defend than drags and overs against man coverage. They'll use them all in the blocking game as well. You know that. They'll give them jet sweeps. They're big physical receivers who will challenge and invite contact. When you reroute them, you have to be on point. And you do have to be ready to compete at the top of the stem because they'll throw balls against tight windows, and those guys will use those frames to generate separation and really win with physicality at the top of the route. And then there's George Kittle, speaking of physicality, who will control the edge in the running game and provide a whole other plate of challenges in the passing game. We mentioned the heavier packages. I mean, sometimes they do that with Kittle, with a couple of extra tackles and Kittle, who can function as a tackle himself. That is three Really devastating options atop their target share. They go Ayuk 51 for 625 and six touchdowns, 1.85 yards per route ran. Samuel 43 grabs for 510 and two touchdowns, 1.7 yards per route ran. Kittle 36 for 450 and four scores seven years ago, and 1.64 yards per route ran, and then Jawan Jennings, uh, 24 for 269 and one. I mean, look at those yards per route ran, all under 1.85. It's not been very efficient in that regard. I kind of think you go into this game with everyone talking about one defense in red and gold, and I think you'll come out of it with everyone talking about the other defense in aqua and orange. I really like this matchup on this side of the ball. Less than 20 points should do the trick, and the Niners have scored less than 24 times and less than 25 in seven of their 11 games. I am really curious to see the matchups, the 
decisions that Boyer makes in terms of man and zone and blitz and coverage and the matchups he prefers, X and Cater have both done really well against bigger bodied physical types of receivers. So I think you could see a fun slugfest out there. And again, those guys against the screen come up and make plays. It's a big part of the game this week. To me, it's a kitchen sink game. I think a lot of combo hybrid coverages. I think you do play some man with brackets and wall offs and robbers to take care of those crossing routes like Javon Holland, maybe Eric Rowe. Bottom line is this. We want Garoppolo surveying and hitching to hold the ball for more than 2.5 seconds. I think playing aggressive underneath with seven in coverage is the best way to do that, and you have to trust your pass rush to get home to do it. Man, cover six, some hybrid with zone uh, front side, man backside combinations like two man, two high safeties, and man coverage underneath. Mix it up and rely on that four-man pass rush and dare them to go deep, kind of like that Baltimore game offensive line versus defensive line. So Trent Williams is absolutely incredible. It starts with him. He can really handle anything you throw at him. Stylistically, they fire off the football just like Miami. They want to beat you to the spot and use that style to keep your second level guessing, second guessing, I should say. Offensive line pressures allowed and pass blocking snaps. Trent Williams, 10 pressures on 269 snaps. That's an absurd offensive tackle number. That's a 98 pass block efficiency. You see that from the top interior offensive lineman in the NFL. Aaron Banks, 21 on 383. That's the that's kind of the one that sticks out. Jake Brendel, remember him? Four for 392. He's developed into some kind of player there, man. Spencer Burford, 11, two, uh, 280 snaps. And then Mike McGlinchey, 18 pressures on 362 snaps. And then Jalen Moore and Daniel Brunskill will come into the game as extra offensive linemen. You kind of know the matchup from a style standpoint. They want to beat you to the spot, turn you, wall you off, and seal the alley, and get bodies up in the second level to wipe out your linebackers. So for Miami and the two-gap control, the point-of-attack style of football they want to play, it's a big game for Raekwon Davis and do what he does best and just prevent movement and doubles from getting up to that second level. And then with Wilkins and Sealer, more of the same. We do see both of them win with quickness plenty, but at 310 and 305, Burford and Brendel go 300 pounds each. So getting in position to use that power to hold the point are big keys this week and to move those guys against their will to kind of use your power and strength and balance to once they run a wide zone play, put your foot in the ground and chuck them and make the play. Our guys do that plenty. I think it's a good matchup here for Miami in that regard. Banks is 325 for posterity, but man, he's getting all he can handle this year. The Saints hit him with seven pressures on Sunday need to get that done with Christian and Sealer going up against him with their quick pass rush arsenals Wilkins with the get off Sealer with the arm over it usually starts in the trenches but for sure it does in this game on both sides of the football and then out wide I'm not really sure what to tell you about Trent Williams like him and Bradley Chubb is a premier matchup Phillips as well when he goes to that side but finding ways to execute games and get Williams away from locking down your top guys or one of them on a given play would go a long way to keeping that pocket muddy for Jimmy G I think They've got, you know, McGlinchey over there, a former first-round pick who's been a stalwart for them. Just six pressures allowed in the last four games. But I want to see Jalen Phillips' speed-to-power move a lot against him. It's his best move, I think, and the route to getting McGlinchey is with power paired with suddenness. He's 6'8", 3'10", so he can get over his skis a little bit. That and Melvin Ingram with that really, really good crossover step inside into the B-gap. Those two guys against McGlinchey are big keys for me this week. Finally, running back and linebacker, Christian McCaffrey... We'll see if he can go. He's dealing with knee irritation, which I've never heard that before. Uh, Elijah Mitchell will not be available for them. Their offense really took off once they traded for McCaffrey, and that should 
be kind of obvious with a talent and scheme fit there. There's a ton of screen game and use of McCaffrey flexed out. He runs routes from every possible alignment. He's averaging just 4.2 yards per rush since coming over, but it's the passing game element that makes him who he is. He's caught 25 of 29 targets for 202 and a touch. He's forced six missed tackles in those 25 catches. So when you get him in space, he's tough to get to the ground. Tevin Coleman would be next in line since Mitchell's down. He was with the Niners from 2019 to 2020, played for the Jets last year, and then he came back this year to the Niners. He was with Shanahan and McDaniel in Atlanta in 2016, and he was awesome for that team. He gives them that speed element like McCaffrey does. That really allows that offense to get the vertical stretch to give you, or I should say the horizontal stretch to really widen the defense out. So for the Dolphins, covering these guys out of the backfield, speed with Jerome and Duke getting over the top of hopefully hard edges from Chubb, Phillips, Melvin, and and Gink and the whole crew. You know, I mentioned Duke Riley getting uh, 30 plus snaps last two weeks. To me, this is another game for him to get 30 or more snaps. And I wonder if we see more of Baker off the edge to help contend with that speed, kind of like we saw in the Baltimore game a couple or a year ago. Special teams, DVOA ranks, San Francisco's 21st, Miami's 31st, and after making all six of his kicks on Sunday, Jason Sanders is now 16 for 20 on the year, including a perfect 9 for 9 on kicks in the 40 to 49 range, the one short miss, and then 0 for 3 from 50 plus. He's 30 for 33 on PATs. Kind of a cool stat here. We are just three PAT attempts away from matching his career high, so we're scoring lots of touchdowns. Do it this week, maybe. Um, Raheem, not Raheem, Thomas Morstead, is averaging 46.3 yards per punt on 37 total punts, just a 5.4% touchback rate and a 37.8% inside the 20-yard line rate. Both of those top his career averages. On the other side, the Niners send out great Robbie Gold for their field goals. He's 16 for 19 this season with two misses in the 40 to 49 range and one under 30. He's 26 for 27 on extra points. And then Mitch Wisnowski is the punter. 39 punts, 44.2 average, 10.3% touchback rate, and 53.8% inside the 20-yard line. Good coverage team there for the Niners punt team. What's at stake? The cool part about winning streaks is you get to put that on the line each week. You keep winning. And saying we're on a five-game win streak is pretty sweet. So the potential for a six-game win streak is even more sweeter. Uh, Remember when I said back in September we were going to do this segment, but it wouldn't really start to click until late November and December? Well, a win keeps you in first in the division, you know, right before Christmas, really. In terms of the standings at large, of course, cross-conference games don't contribute to any tie-break scenarios, sans common opponents, and within our own division, nobody else plays the Niners. So from that standpoint, you could say it's the least important game on the schedule, but we know that absolutely nobody feels that way because, let's be honest, the main thing at stake here is perception, right? If the Niners win, everything is still in front of Miami. We know that to be true. But if that happens, the talk shows and social media and the contingency that demands perfection on every single snap of every single game will come out of the woodwork and say they were right all along. So really, nothing at stake in that regard because none of that stuff matters, right? I just thought it was worth saying. Obviously, all wins matter, but also talk about a great way to start a three-game road trip against three really good teams. Well, two really good teams and one that we're kind of waiting to see on uh, in Los Angeles. And a win puts you in position where if you can... If you can get the win, you can then complete the California swing with two wins potentially. And then that week 15 Buffalo game gives you a chance to really increase your odds of winning the division. It's probably not saying a whole lot here, but if you go 3-0 on the road trip, like you're going to win the division. So 
Big, big things at stake this week. Three keys. Establish balance on offense to help influence those middle linebackers. They are the key, the straw that stirs the drink, and those safeties. So running the football keeps them guessing, keeps them off balance, keeps them false stepping. Key number two, execute your tackling fundamentals, drive, wrap, and put them to the ground. You cannot let these guys get loose in the secondary. And number three, get pressure without blitzing. Jimmy Garoppolo holding the football with guys winning one-on-one pass rush moves will be a good way to keep this Niners offense below 20, and that should be good enough to win the game. Week 13 picks this week. Uh, we are 11-5 and in Week 12. We are now 122-57-1 and and on the year. That's 68.2% winning percentage. Buffalo over the Patriots tonight, although I'm rooting for the Patriots. Give me the Bears over the Packers. We'll see if Rodgers plays. I'm still taking the Bears, unless they don't have Justin Fields, and it's going to go back to the Packers. Give me the Falcons over the Steelers. Give me the Vikings over the Jets. The Lions over the Jags. Eagles over the Titans. The Browns over the Texans. Gross. The Giants over Washington. Baltimore over Denver. The Dolphins over San Francisco. Seattle over the Rams. I'll take Vegas over the Chargers. That's kind of on my big pick of the week right there. Take the Chiefs over the Bengals, the Cowboys over the Colts, and the Bucks over the Saints. All right, that's going to be my time today. We'll have the uh, team reporter for the Niners, Lindsey Perales, on the podcast tomorrow, so don't miss that. We'll also get your questions on the Twitter mailbag, and then we'll be back with you guys on Sunday for another recap podcast and post-game show, all that fun stuff. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Fish Tank post game show, Twitter Spaces, check out all that stuff as well as the team YouTube channel for all the media availabilities and Dolphins today. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy's coming home. <laughs>